NHL GMs were up until the 11th to work on some trades, except this hour was 3 o'clock Eastern time on a Monday afternoon. Some pending UFAs were expected to hit the road and change postal codes, but actually stay put. We're not going to talk about those guys. Today we're going to talk about the names that did move and how it changes the playoff landscape as we know it. Episode 265 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Buff. The big news uh, on trade deadline day is that Taylor Hall did get traded out of Buffalo. Uh, but the story we're going to lead off with, Brett, is a longtime San Jose Shark that uh, is one step closer to history, Brett. Yeah, he. I mean, he'll break it on Monday uh, when the Sharks play the Avalanche. But Patrick Marlowe uh, tied currently ties uh, Gordy Howe's record of all-time games played um, in the NHL. Um, and just to put this in perspective, I'll put the like I have like three facts that are insane. It's kind of getting to like Gretzky level here of uh, how 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 impressive this stat is uh so the first one we have here is that uh, patrick marlowe has appeared in at least one game with 37 percent of every nhl player who has ever played in the 104 year history so that's uh he's played with 3009 players and that's uh and in total there's been 800 8, players who's ever played in the nhl so that's uh, that's pretty insane. Uh, yeah, massive shout out to whoever that up. That's yeah, that's huge. Jonathan uh, Betcher, who uh, who mentioned that. I don't know how you even figure that out. Like I don't even know how you even figure yeah, out. Be bothered to, <laughs> yeah. to go through that math. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's just that Yeah, it's like, it was like he was waiting for this moment, or like, or he's like, all right, I'm just gonna pull this. This, this, is, like, yeah. this is my time. Yeah, exactly. This, this is where this is where I break Twitter. Exactly. So, uh, oh, because he's the he's the no wonder he's the president of the San Jose Sharks and the San Jose Bears. Okay, so he would know that. Yeah, he would know. But I don't. I, I would assume someone did the stats for him. It's just like we have to do something for Patrick Marlowe. Um, then the other one uh, that um, is insane in its own right is Patrick Marlowe uh, has played. Um, so he's played in 18, 23 years in the NHL. Um, and he's never missed more than eight scheduled uh, games in a single season, uh, which is impressive in its own right. But you have to keep in mind that he, um, until this past year, uh, he missed 37 due to COVID, um, which I didn't even realize he was on like the COVID protocol list. But uh, so he missed 37 for that and then 31 for everything else. So he's like, he's been so durable for 23 years that it's only been COVID, which is like a global pandemic that everyone's having trouble with. Um, he's, he's just missed those games. Um, so that's like an insane one. When I saw that, I was just like, whoa, what, what's going on? Um, and then the last one, which I guess isn't as impressive as the other stats, but 
it's still pretty cool, is that uh, Patrick Marlowe has a, appeared in more than 20, uh, more NHL games than five current franchises. Um, I know that you've seen this because I did retweet it, and I think you, you know, you're, you're also in charge of the Twitter as well. But do you want to have a guess on maybe, yeah, on, on which franchises he has appeared in more NHL games then? Um, National Predators. Yep. Is one. Yep. Although I'll admit, I Atlanta thought that was. Winnipeg franchise. Yep. I thought that wouldn't be the first yep. one, but <laughs> you would guess, but who knows? Yeah, well, the, well, they entered the league before the 2000s. So yeah, they've, yeah. they've been around a bit. It's, it's, it's not by a whole lot, but right, right. enough. To yeah, it's a good. I uh, mean, so Nashville. <laughs> you're yeah, on the same. Yeah, so Nashville, Atlanta, Winnipeg franchise, uh, Columbus one. Yep. Yeah, okay, so they enter the same time as Minnesota did, so I'm guessing the current Minnesota franchise, the Wilds, is another. Yep, that's four. Okay, and Vegas would yep. probably be the final one. Yeah, I thought you and were... Then, no, that's it. I, I would. I, I think we should include Seattle. Yeah. Although they're not an NHL team, I think it's obvious that Seattle would be included. Yeah, and it, it's it's possible that Patrick Marlowe may retire this year too, so <laughs> this may not even matter. But I, I think the the fact that like he's played more games than the Golden Knights isn't as impressive, just because most players who've played more than three seasons have played more games than <laughs> than the Golden Knights. But it's it's crazy that he's played more games than the Predators, because not many people have played a thousand uh, seven hundred games like the Predators have. Or the Thrashers and Jets, or the Blue Jackets, um, or the Wild, because they've played more than a thousand five hundred games. Um, but yeah, it's it's. Um, I mean, obviously Patrick Marlowe isn't as good as he used to be, um, but like just there, there's something that's, um, and and it's kind of sad that he's on the Sharks right now, where they're not even that good of a team. Um, so he's not even. He doesn't even have a shot at make, winning the cup, um, but he definitely deserves it of everyone else who doesn't have a cup just now. Um, maybe Joe Thornton, or uh, that that's the other one, but um, but it is kind of sad that he's like, you know, he's kind of just been in the, um, you know, he's like the Sharks aren't as good anymore. I think the other part that's kind of sad is that he's, um, you know, he's doing this when there aren't many fans in the in the stadiums right now and um you know i mean i think like obviously the sharks fans love him and he you know he deserves it but it would be so cool if we see him like uh get that standing ovation in in the shark tank um that would be just a nice thing to see the other crazy thing is is i'm looking here is he's 41 years old i know like zdeni ochara is like 44 so it's uh so he still had he still could like keep this going and maybe go like a thousand like two thousand games um which would be insane but um but yeah I think I mean I know like I think I saw some one of my friends was or one of my fantasy hockey buddies were saying that like he's like the epitome of Halla very good but I don't know like playing. <laughs> <laughs> playing the same amount of games as Gordy Howe, who's, like, known as, like, the Iron Man guy. Like, that's what he's known for. 
Um, that like that that means you're like a certified first ballot Hall of Famer, even if you haven't won a cup, even if you haven't won any major awards. It wasn't like you know he was like a fourth liner for all this time. He was he's like he's been a legitimate first or second liner uh, for most of his career, and um, yeah, he deserves a ton of credit. It's even more, like, I think I was looking at, um, or I think Jeff Merrick has made this point before, is that when you talk to a bunch of NHL players, um, they, they, they're more impressed by the amount of games that you play versus, like, the amount of points you put up, um, in your career when they talk to, like, former NHL players, um, and so, because, like, I think, like, especially since hockey is such a grueling and physical sport and most of these hockey players like are retired by like 35 or 33 or something like that um it's just impressive that he's been able to be this durable and this this good yeah um for so long and just to add um to the patrick marlowe legacy um it's pretty fitting when you consider where Gordie Howe is from and where Patrick Marlowe is from, Saskatchewan, both are from Saskatchewan, and both are going to be one, two, respectively, no matter how you slice yep. it in games played by the time we record this next episode. And everyone talks about, you know, all the Ontario guys headlining uh, the NHL list of Canadians and the Quebec guys and even the Nova Scotia guys. But when you consider that, Patrick Marlowe played in the NHL for so long, and Gordie Howe continued to maintain good physical shape to play hockey for, I think, spreading across five decades. Like, who who does that? Who's ever going to do that? And both guys are from Saskatchewan, which is, in terms of population, a pretty small prop. Um, maybe not as small as, you know, like Newfoundland and Labrador, let's say, yeah. but still comparatively speaking it's not as filled with nhl talent as the big guys like ontario and quebec and even like alberta and bc so the fact that one and two in all-time games played both are from saskatchewan that's a pretty incredible accomplishment for an entire province not just for patrick marlowe he he really embodies um, saskatchewan to a team just a hard-working guy shows up every day plays the game has fun and has just done it for forever. And, like, you look at his numbers offensively, like, almost 1,200 points, 566 goals, three all-star yeah. appearances. Not necessarily, like, Steve Eisman level good, but it, it, it's still, you're just in awe watching that guy play just, just because of how he conducts himself and how he leads in the locker room. Just a great role model to, to lean on. Kind yeah. of... I, w- I would say probably like the Steve Nash of hockey, I would say. Yeah, I guess that's a good, I mean, yeah, that's a good comparison. I was thinking like the Cal Ripken of hockey, but just, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. With the Iron Man streak and all exactly, that, yeah, yeah, for sure. That's and kind of Cal why Ripken I mentioned that. Maybe like Tony mm-hmm. Gwen, I think, is another one who who's played a lot of games, but was pretty good all throughout his career. Um, what's, the other interesting thing is, is that, so... Patrick Marlowe uh, was second overall in the 1997 entry draft, and I'm just looking here. Uh, Joe Thornton was the first one, which I think I knew, and I thought like Joe Thornton played um, was around that 
that frame because I was like, I knew that they were around the same age, which apparently they are. Um, but I, I thought like, oh, that must mean that Joe Thornton must be coming close. But no, uh, Joe Thornton's played 1,600 games, whereas Patrick Marlowe has played 1,700 games. Um, so like, so Joe Thornton has to play a, a couple hundreds. I guess he missed a couple due to injury throughout his career, but it, um, it is kind of crazy that he's also um, up there as well. And there were like one and two in the 97 draft like that. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I think he, he's definitely in the hall of fame if he wasn't already. Um, but, um, I think this kind of solidifies him as the first, uh, first, um, ballot hall of famer, um, instead of like, you know, like he's never won a cup. You know, he probably won't, um, would be my guess, but, um, it would be cool to see if he, if he finally gets one. Um, and he's never won like a big award, but that's okay. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's impressive to be playing, um, in 23 seasons like that. Um, like he has. All right. Uh, let's go to, uh, the trades cause the trade deadline happened on Monday. Um, and, uh, so the first trade, speaking of drafts and all that, we're going to talk about the 2010 first overall pick. Uh, Taylor Hall, um, he gets traded to the Boston Bruins um, for uh, and along with Curtis Lazar, uh, the Buffalo Sabers end up getting Anders Bjork and a 2021 second round pick. Um, so, like the interesting thing is, is when we talked about this last week, um, how I was thinking the Bruins should get someone. I wasn't sure what. I was kind of hesitant on Taylor Hall, um, as as you were aware. Um, but like I think at the time I was expecting it to be something like we'd have to give up like Jackson Nicka and Jake DeBrusque and we'd have to <laughs> tear apart our entire core. So that was my my biggest like worry was like, okay, well if we get Taylor Hall, it better not be because like we'd like tank our future. So to hear, like, when I saw, like, okay, we got Taylor Hall, now to find out it, who else, who we lost, and then I find out, like, it's just Anders Bjork in a second-round pick, and I'm like, oh, okay, like, I guess, you know, like, I'll take it. Um, so, like, I see, I see um, you know, he has 19 games, or he had 19 points in 37 games uh, in Buffalo, um, and... You know, he, I mean, he was, he was pretty good in Arizona that people aren't really talking about that. He had like 27 points in 35 games. Um, and then in New Jersey at 25 points in 30 games. Um, and then, uh, but then you see like his heart year, uh, the, the year that he won his, the heart trophy, um, he had 93 points in 76 games and I'm like, okay, so if Taylor Hall can get to that level, um, then this trade is worth it. Um, but even if he if he continues to be like what he was in Buffalo or what he was in Arizona, I'm like, you know, it's not like the Bruins gave up that much. We still kept our first. Um, Andrews Bjork is a good player. Um, however, uh, he was always on like the fourth line um, and, or the third line. Um, and I don't think he's necessarily... Um, 
like I, 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 I'm going to root for him um, in his career, uh, but I, you know, I think it's it's a player that the Bruins could afford to lose. Um, the other aspect to this, as I've mentioned many times on this podcast, the Bruins um, have always, like for the past couple of years, we've been looking for a winger for David Krejci. Um, you know, we have the perfection line, um, but we've never had another winger for David Krejci. And, um, I mean, Craig Smith has been able to be pretty good for us. Um, he's just <laughs> getting started, it feels like. Um, Jake DeBrus has been inconsistent. Um, there's been, like, Drew Stafford is another one. Lee Stemniak. Um, Nick Ritchie, although he's been good in, in spurts. Um, you know, I could go on and on about, like, different wingers that uh, we've tried to pair with David Krejci since your Jerome McGinley. Um, in Milan Lucic and nothing has ever stuck um, and it's just uh, so then when I watch these like four games that uh, Taylor Hall has been on he's been um, he's been as good as advertised and he's like been really um, yeah he's been like he's kind of solidified the top six and that's exactly who the Bruins have been looking for for ages it feels like a decade and it probably has been that like the Bruins have never had a guy like Taylor Hall in history. Um, I mean, I guess you like obviously we've had like Bergeron, Marchand, and Pasternak, but all three of those guys have been drafted players, um, and they've come on their own. But like Taylor Hall has been like the most talented player that we've gotten through a trade or a draft, I guess. I mean, maybe like Tyler Sagan, but I'm getting sidetracked here. Um, so yeah, I think it, it, this was like just for the the price that we got. Uh, Taylor Hall is worth worth it, and you know if it doesn't work out, um, you know if it's just a rental, that's fine. Um, I think he will help out in the playoffs, especially because I feel like it was the you know the the Capitals beat the Bruins eight to two or something. I forget the score of it. Uh, last Sunday, um, and after that, I was just like, okay, the Bruins have to do something, and then if you wanted to get an exact, um, like, difference maker, this, uh, this Sunday, or today when we're recording, the Bruins beat the Capitals 5-3, to three. um, I mean, Taylor Hall just got an assist there, um, and Mike Riley was, uh, wasn't as effective as he used to be. And we'll talk about Mike Riley in a second, but, um, but yeah, it's just, uh, it just shows how like energized the Bruins are now where they like, they look like shit. I, I, part of my French here <laughs> last weekend. So, um, yeah, this is a huge deal for the Bruins. Um, I, I see some people on like Twitter and we'll, we'll talk about this. Uh, eventually when we talk about Nick Foligno. Um, but, like, there's been talk about, like, how how did the Sabres not get a first-round pick um, and all that stuff um, because, you know, Taylor Hall is still, like, a, a pretty big get. You know, he's, like, even though he struggled um, in Buffalo, he's still Taylor Hall. Um, but... Um, and according to Brian Lawton, um, he knows for a fact that a team has offered a first round pick. However, uh, Taylor Hall, um, 
had a no trade clause in his contract. He even mentioned that, um, or I think um, Kevin Adams even mentioned that he, uh, like, the Bruins were the only team that he wanted to go to. So once you realize that's fact, it's like, yeah, he obviously would have gotten a first round pick. But like, once you know that Taylor Hall was only going to go to the Bruins, then it's like, okay, then like, you know, the leverage for the Sabres is totally gone because he's not, um, you know, he's not going to be as, um, um, you know, no team is like the Bruins are only competing with themselves at that point and they've lost their leverage. So uh, from that standpoint, I think it's a good deal. Um, and, but like, I don't think you, we should harp too much on Kevin Adams just because like, I mean, well, you can harp on Kevin Adams for sign- making that contract in the first place and giving him a no movement clause for a one year contract, but you can't harm harp on him for making this trade because um, Taylor Hall had a lot of control in where he wanted to go um, in this deal. The fact of the matter is, if he wasn't getting traded and they kept Taylor Hall, they would lose him for nothing. Yep. Like, you can't look at this Boston... uh, Sorry, you can't look at all of the offenses around the NHL, Boston included, Colorado included, Edmonton included, St. Louis included, all the teams that Taylor Hall was linked to, even the Sens, even the Sens, for example. Yep. Because at least they have the optics of a bright future there, right? You can't look at that Buffalo team with that record, with that structured offense, and the way they were playing before Don Granato took over. You can't look at that team, that offense, and say, Taylor Hall will want to stay here beyond this year. There's no way it's happening. So, at that point, Kevin Adams had to cut his losses. We all knew that. I I think, ultimately, could he have gotten more for Taylor Hall? I think so. I think Colorado could have had more to offer. I think Edmonton could have had more to offer. St. Louis, all of the teams in the hunts, they could have offered more than Anders Bjork in a second-round pick this year, which, frankly, was probably going to be a late second. So late second, early third, however you want to look at it, glass half full, glass half empty. I think the offers out there were better, but this is – and you can you can mock Kevin Adams for giving him the no trade, but at that point, Taylor Hall controls his own destiny. And I think that was a very smart move from a player's perspective, from Taylor Hall's perspective, to add the no move there. Or the no trade, I should say. Because if things don't go well, he knows, well, I'm on an expiring contract. The team probably is going to trade me, and I'm probably going to go to a team that is ready to win and that wants me there. And the Boston Bruins ended up being that team. And it's kind of funny because they just got their asses kicked by Washington, like 8-1, to one, and a few hours later, everyone's reacting, oh, we got Tiller Hall? Okay, forget the 8-1 loss. I feel better now. Right. Um, but... I think part of the reason why the return was so low was because not only the team wasn't playing that well, Taylor Hall wasn't playing that well. You'll look at his numbers in Buffalo, 17 assists in 31 games. That's pretty good. Only two goals on 88 shots. And he was a minus 21. 
and he was averaging 18 minutes, 41 seconds per game on a team that had a banged-up Jack Eichel that we know is not going to play again this year. Apparently, herniated disc in his neck that requires surgery is bad enough to sit out the rest of the year. And it sounds as bad as I'm sure it feels. So I don't like Eichel at all for for shutting it down. That's probably the wise thing to do there. Um, but even then, uh, uh, an offense that has Victor Olofsson on it, Rasmus Dahlin, Sam Reinhardt, I don't think that's nearly enough, uh, Jeff Skinner. I don't think that's enough, especially in that division, to even be a 500 hockey team. Yeah. Like, this this guy, Taylor Hall, was on pace for 44 points if he played a full 82 games, the lowest total of his career. And this guy was a few years removed from winning the NHL's Most Valuable Player Award. So not exactly his best season, period. In fact, arguably his worst on paper. And just the way everything was constructed and the way their power play was producing, the way the special teams were going – there's not much really in that situation where Kevin Adams can say, yeah, I got a pretty good return for Taylor Hall. He got a return. The Sabres should be lucky they got a return. And I think when I look at the return that Buffalo got, I think it could still be decent. I can see Anders Bjork being a Frank Vertrano type of player for the Sabres, where he can score 15 to 20 goals a year for you maybe put in 30 to 40 points in a full 82-game season. I could see Anders Bjork being a very serviceable NHL player that's a fringe top six, bottom six for them, depending on his role, depending on what Buffalo sees in him. Maybe he could be more than Frank Petrano, in which case, yay for Buffalo. That's great. The good news for Buffalo, as we mentioned last week, is that their young guys, Casey Milstadt, Rasmus Asplund, all of the guys that you were looking at under the Ralph Kruger regime in the first half of the season that weren't doing well, Rasmus Dahlin included, and you're looking at them and they're just like, wow, these guys are playing pretty well. And Anders Bjork, I would put into that category. In his first couple of games, he's done fairly well for himself in Buffalo. And they've been able to hang around with teams like Washington and even beat teams like Washington. They beat the Caps uh, a couple nights ago recently, so that's great. And that second-round pick... I think could be serviceable keyword if Buffalo hits on it. The problem with Buffalo is in a lot of their drafts, they've had kind of like the Evans and Oilers syndrome where, yeah, they can draft good guys in the first round, but what have they done the second round or the third round or the fourth round or the fifth round beyond that? That's where you separate the playoff wannabes from the playoff contenders from the legit contenders is how well you can draft. So I think it's a decent return for for Buffalo, but it's better than no return at all. Meantime, you look at Taylor Hall, the Bruins retaining 50% of his salary, and they also get Curtis Lazar. Former Senator, emphasized former Senator Curtis Lazar, was once upon a time a middle-round, first-round pick who had future as maybe a top-six, third-line guy, on a contending team. And it'll be interesting to see how he showcases those talents. In 37 games this year, he has six goals and 10 points. That's pretty good depth scoring. And I definitely think he can be more than just a third line or a fourth line guy. Um, I don't think he's going to get those opportunities in Boston just because of how their offense is structured. And the fact that Craig Smith is starting to heat up now 
Um, and they also have Jake DeBrusque in the picture, too. So I, I think a pretty solid line three, line four guy. If Lazar can live up to it, that's a pretty big win for Boston. Yeah. But the main, re- the main return is for Taylor Hall. And in the three games he played prior to the watch on Sunday, can't deny what he's done. Two goals, three games, nine shots, plus three rating, only 15 minutes and six seconds. And I think that's the key is he's not going to be the guy in Boston. And he doesn't want to be. He just wants to be a part of the equation. Yep. And you look at the likes of David Pasternak, Brad Marchand, Patrice Bergeron, I would say they're all in the top 30 goal-scoring threats around the league. Those are the guys that you expect to score goals. All of the attention is going to be on them. That opens the door for guys like Craig Smith, for guys like Taylor Hall, for guys like Jake DeBrus to chip in offensively. And... I think it could be a massive win if they utilize Taylor Hall properly. And I think in the first three games they have, and they need to continue to do that. Yep. The entire part two of this conversation, which is I think also going to determine the Taylor Hall experiment in Boston is, is he going to stay? And I think that depends on a lot of things. It depends on what they do with David Krejci, what they yep. do with the tandem of Rask and Black and where they see Jeremy Swayman in the system. Yep. Because the Bruins might look good right now, but what's their window going to look like beyond this year? And that's the big question. Yeah, I was about to get into that. Um, because I think um, I think Taylor Hall is probably going to be a rental. I was just thinking about that. I'm looking at their cap-friendly page right now. But then you realize that David Krejci's uh, UFA, um, he's making $7 million right now. So that, that would be off the books. Uh, Tuga Rask is also making $7 million. Jeremy Swayman has been really good uh, lately. I mean, I, I, and uh, so has uh, Yaroslav Falak has been, is also on the UFAs um, as well. So they have like, you know, $14 million off the book. However, the thing that's, that's kind of funny about it is that we finally get a winger for Krejci. Um, and, you know, we build around, like, you know, that's what we've been wanting. And then, like, it would just be funny crazy if like we sign taylor hall and then we can't that means that we can't afford david Krejci anymore mm-hmm. so so i i, I feel like david Krejci is probably gonna also stay as a but like if so that's why i feel like taylor hall is probably gone however there is a chance that this might be like too harassed last year in boston um as sad as that would be for me but um, I think that's probably what my guess would be, even if he retires. I would say that he might even go to another team. I could, I could see that happening as well. But um, I think um, I think this all stems from the fact that, like, if Taylor Hall plays, like, what he was on that heart-level season, like, obviously he can't play a full 82 games, but if he played at that level, if he plays like this right now, then yes, we, we sign him to a longer term, um, you know, and we win a cup with him, then yes, we sign him to a longer term. But if we, uh, but if he continues to stink like he did for the Sabres, um, then yeah, we, uh, then we can cut bait and, you know, it's no harm because we only lost Anders Bjork and a second round pick. We still have our first round pick. So it's, I think it's, it's kind of like, um, uh, High risk, high, high re, a low risk, high reward type situation, um, where like you know we're focused on this season, 
uh, because, you know, you don't know when Bergeron or Marshawn are going to decline. Uh, Krejci is going to be a UFA. Tukaras is going to be a UFA. Um, so, so you still have that kind of like looming around because, you know, those guys are going to be hard to replace. Um, any five of those guys. So, so that, that's going to be, um, the intriguing part about this whole thing where I feel like, as I was mentioning, when the Bruins, uh, lost in the playoffs last year, that like the Bruins window is, is closing, um, as unfortunate as this is, and, or at least this core with Bergeron, Marshawn, and Pasternak. Um, so, um, so I think there, um, so I, I do like that we are getting this rental. Um, Taylor Hall may work out, but if he, if he doesn't, then we can just let him go. And I think, I think that's, that's a, a good job by, um, by Don Sweeney there. Uh, the other yeah, good. I, 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 I think in terms of the long-term plans of Taylor Hall, where Boston could get into a sticky situation is if a team like Carolina or Colorado or Edmonton with a young core, and yeah, they have some of their own financial situations to work yeah. out with, with key players on their teams. But if any of those three teams come to Taylor Hall and say, come play for us long-term, it might be it might be too good for him to pass up, honestly. Because I yeah. can see the window in Carolina being longer than the window in Boston. Yep. Same with Edmonton, same with Colorado. Yeah, that's a good point, and, Jim. And I think that would be just too much for Taylor Hall to refuse. So, However... I think if either one of those teams become frontrunners, the Bruins should be scared if they really want to keep them. However, if the if we win the Cup with him, it doesn't even matter if he signs or not. <laughs> you know? Yeah, true. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. Uh, another point before we go to the next person here or the next trade, um, Anders Bjork has, uh, three points in, well, I guess the Sabres are currently playing. So he has three points in three games. Uh, Taylor Hall also has, uh, I guess he also has three points in four games. Uh, he didn't score in his first game, but, um, but he had two. He had a goal um, in the next two games uh, each, and then he had an assist today. Um, so, so it seems like they're 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 kind of uh, doing well. And you mentioned the other thing I wanted to mention was you mentioned Curtis Lazar. Um, he's yeah. It seems like he's being used as a fourth line guy for Curtis Lazar. But it's like uh, I did notice that like there was a lot of times when the fourth line was on the ice. For the for all these games that like they've just kept it in the offensive zone, um, which is like incredible for a fourth line t- time because they're usually like you know known for like just playing good defense or whatnot. But um, it is nice to see that he's kind of being a part. That fourth line is being turned into like an energy line type thing, um, which I which is good to see. Um, and um, I also like the thing that Boston media has kept on mentioning when they talked about Curtis Lazar was the fact that when the hamburger run was happening and people, fans were throwing hamburgers on the ice. Uh, Curtis Lazar was the one who um, took a hamburger and ate it. Um, and uh, all the Boston media could not stop talking about that. Cause it's like, it is a little disgusting, but it's also like shows how much commitment he has to, 
to um to life, I guess, where he's just he's gonna eat a burger even though he has no idea how it was cooked or anything like that. He just he just takes the burger and eats it. Um, so that that's it's kind of cool to have this kind of guy. And I think you're right that he's probably going to be a fourth line guy, maybe third line guys if you know the Bruins are injury riddled. But um, I don't I don't see him ever being like a top six guy. And maybe there is some offensive upside, but uh, not yet as seen. Uh, talking about another former Sen though, um, Mike Riley is going to the Bruins for a 2022nd third round pick. Uh, this is kind of like, this is an interesting thing because it's pretty rare that both our teams uh, make a trade for, uh, make a trade just because, you know, usually we're in the same division and all that. But um, this is kind of like a, an interesting trade because, like, I had Mike Riley on my uh, fantasy team and pretty much the only reason why I had heard of him in the first place. But, like, yeah, he had, like, 19 assists in 40 games for the Ottawa Senators um, with 18 minutes of ice time, and that's pretty decent, obviously, for a, for a fantasy team, and he's only 27. Um, but yeah, he's been a huge help for the Bruins because they've been uh, depleted on the defensive side of things. They don't have Carlo. Matt Grizzlick is injured. Uh, Charlie McAvoy is back, but he was injured for a time. Uh, there was also John Moore. Um, I think there was another... Oh, Kevin Miller was injured for a little bit, but he came back. Um, so there was like a time period where like the Bruins were just working with AHL defensemen. Um, and that's not something that's good. So when Mike Riley came in, it's just like, okay, well, you know, who knows what his future is going to be once Macris looks back. But, but like, it was nice to see that there was an actual NHL defenseman um, playing right away, right away. Um, it seems to be kind of like a Tory Krug type player. Um, where he's like, he, he, he has some defensive deficiencies, but like his offense more than makes up for it. Um, and he's like, he's he's either shooting or just, uh, controlling the puck, uh, which is something that's, that, you know, you always need some more of for, for Mike Riley. And, um, he's been really good. Uh, he has two assists in four games so far. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, I, I'm not sure what's going to happen when Mike Riz Matt Grizzlick comes back because uh, Mike Riley has kind of been the, the power play quarterback when Grizzlick's been injured. But, um, but yeah, I think it, it's like the more offensive defensemen that we have on our team, the better. Um, you know, I think Charlie McAvoy is more of, he's really good, as I've mentioned before, but um, he's more of an all-around guy instead of just an offensive defenseman. But it allows... Um, a bunch of defensemen to to play better when you have a guy like Mike Riley on the team because you can um, you know uh, you can focus less on the offense and focus more on shutting down um, the other offense um, when you're doing that. So it's um, so yeah, I, I really like this pick and it's the fact that we only gave up like a 2022nd third round pick. Um, it's just crazy to me. I didn't even realize he was even available because I hardly heard him in the trade vines when we were looking for defensemen. But I, but I like this pick uh, for uh, for the Boston Bruins that we got Mike Riley, and I think it was a good job that Don Don Sweeney got these three guys. 
Yeah, so uh, the story with Mike Rowley is that the Sens wanted to keep him, but I guess the term and the dollars weren't there. And uh, DJ Smith already um, had said to some of the younger guys they wanted to play them more after the trade deadline. So that led me to believe, okay, well, Coburn and Gabranson, which we'll get to um, later on um, if I have time, um, they, they were eventually shipped out as depth pieces. Gabranson went to Nashville. Coburn went to the Islanders. So I thought it with Riley, it's a 50, 50, right? If the term is right. He'll stay. If not, they'll trade him for, in this case, a 2022 third round pick. Uh, so he goes to the Bruins. I think he was a pretty serviceable defenseman in Ottawa. You look at his career numbers. He played in 248 career games to date, eight goals, 66 assists for 74 points. Pretty good. Um, they got him in basically, a very minor trade with the Montreal Canadiens during the 2019-20 season. He had a goal and 15 assists over those 44 games, split between the Habs and the Sens. Um, this year, 21 assists in 44 games. This year, split between Ottawa and Boston, as Brett mentioned. Uh, two points in his first four games with the Bruins. Uh, Bruce Cassidy describing him as a very nice find for the teams. So that's yep. how you know the Bruins um, uh, kind of hit it with this bargain trade. So if you look at the past two years in a full 82-game season, on pace for 30 and 39 points respectively, last year and this year. Um, the thing with Mike Riley is I don't think Ottawa's system was necessarily going to allow him to thrive. Like, basically their defense, their offense, everyone's thrown to the wolves against these heavyweights. And you look at Thomas Shabbat playing 27 to 30 minutes a night, which, ish, not sure about that long term. And then you have Mike Riley right behind him. And every mistake that he makes, because that's the thing with Mike Riley, is that he he's a guy that is not afraid to make bold decisions and he lives with the consequences. The thing is, every decision that's made with the Sens is magnified and it usually ends up in their net. Um, so I don't think Ottawa's system was really going to allow him to achieve his full potential. Boston is a safer place where his offensive game can thrive and he might not get burned as often by his mistakes. That could increase his UFA value. Um, so it seemed like, I don't know, if Edmondson can't afford Tyson Berry, maybe they pick up Morgan Riley on a bargain contract. Or maybe he's a guy that targets. Or maybe the Bruins keep him if they really like him. The Sens in, in this trade, they knew they weren't going to keep Mike Riley. When it became clear that happened, they got a future draft pick for him helps their future, opens up a spot for the young defenseman, and um, Mike Riley gets to go to a contender. So I think both sides win in this trade, um, mostly Brett's Bruins because uh, they're in the middle of a playoff race, and yep. Mike Riley is a guy that can certainly help them out. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Mike Riley was also a uh, really good in college, by the way. He went to University of Minnesota, and he was even a Hobie Baker finalist in the 2014-2015 uh, season. Um, and he won, I, I'm just looking here, that he won two straight uh, Big Ten Defensive Players of the Years um, as well. So he was really good. I think the uh, Hobie Baker that year went to uh, Jack Eichel that year. But um, but still, he's he's been pretty good. Um, and so the reason why I mentioned Mike Riley instead of all the other bigger trades that happened was just because of the Bruins connection. Um, but I'm trying to, trying to, if, as you'll notice, I'm trying to stack them up based off of like teams and stuff like that. So 
Uh, just keep note of that. Um, it's not necessarily because I thought that Mike Riley was more important than Anthony Mantha, Jacob Verona yeah. trade. But I but just want to. I think to Mike that. Riley, in terms of like bang yeah. for your buck, it could be the steal of the trade deadline. Uh, yeah. I mean, like. I mean, I I hope I hope you're right on that. But uh, I I I don't know if that's necessarily going to happen. But it, it has been filling a need uh, for the Bruins for sure because I think. Coming into the trade deadline, I was thinking like the Bruins should get a top six winger and uh, get more defensive depth, and they did that. Um, and <laughs> yeah, they definitely did that. So good, good job on Don Sweeney um, for actually doing it all. And we didn't even give up our first round pick or any of our big time prospects. So that was good to see. Um, so now we go to uh, the uh, the most surprising trade of, of this uh, on Monday was um, it was uh, Anthony Mantha is going to the Washington Capitals um, and then Detroit gets uh, Jacob Verana and Richard Panic. Um, they also get a 2021st first round pick and a 2022nd second round pick. Um, this is kind of a funny trade because I because I was just, um, I think this happened right at the wire, and I was, um, and so I think... Yeah, literally the first yeah. I heard of it was at like 3.30 p.m., so this yeah, was yeah. probably submitted just before the 3 p.m. deadline. Exactly. Which is a, yeah. letter, a, me, a message to all of you when things are just dull and boring, and yep. it's after 3 p.m., and you're thinking nothing else is going to happen, this is why you wait around. This yep. Trades like these right here. Yeah, and uh, but like I think the the funnier part about this was I was just I thought the trade was just like Anthony Mantha for Jacob Verana and Richard Panic, and at this point I was just thinking like okay that's a pretty fair trade I know like you know it's kind of surprising because I hadn't heard either Verana's name or Anthony Mantha's name um, at all uh, the past couple of weeks so I was like it's pretty shocking that both of them were. On there, I know like both Mantha and Verona were struggling a little bit, but I, I didn't think that meant that they were going to get traded because uh, you know, mm -hmm. like like yeah. this is probably a deal that gets yeah. done in the off season, not like in the yeah. final minutes of the trade deadline. So so at that point, when you just trade the players together, it's like Richard Panics okay, but he's not like you know anything really solid at at this time anymore. Um, but um, so I was just thinking like, okay, that's that's not a bad two for one trade. And then I hear, <laughs> then when the trade gets officially announced, it's like a twenty for one first round pick goes to Detroit. A twenty second, uh, twenty two uh, second round pick goes to uh, Detroit. And I'm like, wait, what? How did how did Detroit manage to get these four assets? Where like Verona and Mantha are kind of in a similar ballpark. And then I'm just like, how did they get two first round faces? So it's like, just note to yourself, if I'm ever an NHL GM, never to make a deal with Stevie Yeiserman. I don't know how he managed to pull this off. It's not to say that Anthony Mantha is like a bad player. Um, he's been really good on the Capitals for instance now, but um, he had like, he has four goals in four games right now. And um, he has, I think he had one assist. Um, he still has one assist. Um, in the four games. So he's been he's been on fire since he's gone on Washington. But the thing is, is that uh, Anthony Mantha 
is a is uh, 26 years old. Uh, Detroit Red Wings are probably gonna still stink for a couple more years. Um, so um, it makes sense for because uh, I don't think Anthony Mantha he could be like a good experienced guy in the clubhouse when the Red Wings are actually good. But at the same time, it's like Mantha. You know, uh, you can get a lot out of Mantha. Um, so he, he can be a good contributor and supporting cast for a cup contending team, which he is in Washington. So, so from that perspective, I understand it. Um, and then the other factor of like Jacob Verana, he, he's, he's kind of been inconsistent, um, in Washington. Um, he had, he has 25 points in 39 games, uh, this year. I know like I, I had him on my team. There was like a couple of I actually dropped him before this trade, but um, which I regret. But um, yeah, he was he was definitely not as good. But uh, yeah, he he goes to Detroit, um, and he's instantly the second best player in Detroit. Whereas on Washington, he was like maybe the fourth or fifth best player in Washington. So um, so I think. I think this is one of those trades that's good for both sides, but I think in the long term, because that first uh, is given to the Red Wings, I think, and the second round pick, which is also pretty decent, and you also get someone who could be pretty good um, in Jacob Verana. Um, I think the in the long term, uh, like the Red Wings win this win this trade, um, just because of those picks and Jacob Verana is close to Anthony Mantha's status. Yeah, so there's a lot to unpack here. Um, prior to this, um, the Capitals dealt Jonas Siegenthaler to the Devils for a 2021 conditional third, which is interesting because uh, depth defenseman, I guess, maybe it could have used him, but for a conditional third, I mean, I, I thought they would probably get, like, I don't know, a depth guy like Matthias Yamark. I didn't think they were going to get a guy like Anthony Mantha in right. this deal. Um, in the case of Mantha, his size on top of that, on top of his goal-scoring prowess, on top of his point production, he's like 6'5 or something like that. He's a pretty big dude, um, but also riddled with injuries at times, playing on a fairly mediocre roster. You're right, Brett, in the prime of his career, not really going to do much with the Red Wings, even if he's at a point per game. The Red Wings are still not going to be good. And he's got three more years left on his deal with a cap at of $5.7 million per year. So the Caps know they're getting some term beyond this year. You put him on the top six with TJ Oshie, Evgeny Kuznetsov, Nicholas Backstrom, pretty significant offensive boost there. Um, I also think Anthony Mantha could be a good insurance policy in case they can't keep Alex Ovechkin. People forget Alex Ovechkin uh, is a pending free agent after this year. And they love to keep him on board, but they haven't signed him to an extension yet. And in the event they can't, they're just like, well, we lose arguably the greatest goal scorer to ever play in the NHL. Rip. However, we do have Anthony Mantha that can fill the void somewhat well, which is good. Um, I mean, I don't think that's going to happen, but... <laughs> yeah, the, the this is where it gets dicey for the Caps. I think this could be a future fleecing for Stevie Y. Yep. And this is and this is why the Caps were wise to add the 2021 first this year and not next year, because next year, 
I don't know what the caps are really going to be. Yep. Like, right now, they're in win-now mode, and it's slowly costing them draft picks. They could be the next San Jose Sharks, where they have good players, yes, but the core is aging, and time's slowly catching up to yep. them. Then it catches up to them very fast, and then everything just snowballs downward. Yep. I, I don't know what their goaltending tandem can do. They still have Vanacek, they still have Samsonov, they still have Craig Anderson, but they didn't really get out. Uh, they didn't really go out and get some and Bernier as like an added insurance policy, which I thought maybe they could have done. Um, and in the in the process, you're getting rid of a, t- a bottom six guy in Richard Panic who can still be pretty useful for you, and also a young goal scorer like Jacob Brana, who. I think it's important to note was kind of in the coach's doghouse a few weeks prior, was benched a couple of games, didn't really seem too happy um, being benched, not anything against the coach, but he was just in a little bit of a rut. And he seems to be playing at his best when he's happy. He's a very happy guy. And you could tell from the body language, the demeanor, the fact that he's in a contract year, uh, either this year or next year, and it seems to be weighing on him a little bit. And I don't think the Cats wanted to wait around for him to get his game back. So they went out and got Anthony Mantha and dished him out in the process. I think that could be a scenario where the Red Wings could really thrive on that. You put him on with a with a young core like Joey Valeno and Philip Sedina and Dylan Larkin and all those guys. I think Verena could thrive in a top six role with Detroit. And I think... Eisenman is pretty confident that he can, yep. which is why he made this move. In terms of Detroit's future, you look at the draft picks they've already accumulated in the previous years and what they've turned into, guys like Moritz Sider in a top 10 spot. But now you look at the upcoming drafts. Detroit is two firsts this year, three seconds, two thirds, two fourths, two fifths, one sixth, and zero seventh round picks. So that's 12 picks in 2021. Next year, they have 10 picks. A first, two seconds, a third, three-fourths, a fifth, a sixth, and a seventh. So slowly, they're starting to get more and more of their future. And in the process, they didn't trade George, uh, they didn't trade, um, uh, they didn't trade Mark Stahl, they didn't trade John. They still have DeKaiser, even though they put them on waivers once or twice. So they still have guys that they could use as, I don't know, bait for Seattle, perhaps, or buyouts. Um, so there's a lot of move. Uh, there's a lot of balls in the air for Detroit and a lot of endless possibilities for them to explore. So this is another step of Steve Eisman's transformation. It's just a step that neither of us expected to happen this quickly. Right. I thought this would be something that would get done in the offseason, which is what threw me off. But the fact that he got a first and a second and Jacob Verana for Anthony Mantha at that term, I mean, bravo to Stevie Y. If he hits on those two picks, Detroit could be laughing in a few years. Yeah, it's definitely um, a good uh, place to be in for sure for Detroit. The thing that's interesting is when I look at their cap, uh, both teams' cap friendly page. Um, so you're right that like uh, Alex Ovechkin has is a UFA this year, but I would imagine they sign him still. But like you have Backstrom, Kuznetsov, Oshie, um, Mantha, Tom Wilson, and John Carlson, 
all have long-term contracts, like spanning from at least like three more years. So, um, so like, and those guys are like, you know, I guess Kuznetsov is 28, Mantha's 26, so that's okay. But then you also have like Carlson, who's 31, um, TJ Oshis, who's 34, Basham, who's 33, and then eventually when you do sign Ovechkin, he's 35. So it's like you have a like a lot of money tied up to like maybe six guys, and that's not a great a path for sustained success. Um, in this league, and whereas, like, when you go to the Detroit Red Wings, the only guy that they have um, playing more than three years is Dylan Larkin on their on their roster. <laughs> like, everyone else is a UFA or an RFA in the next two years, um, which is crazy when you think about it. And I guess they have Richard Panic as well, um, who's also, but he is a UFA in 23 as well. Um, so... Um, so that just shows like how crazy uh, both their cap situation is, but like in the reverse way. Um, and that's that's really smart for a rebuilding team is that you want like you don't want a lot of term in the long term. So so that that works out for for Detroit in the long term. But I think for now, if like if the Capitals win the cup this year, uh, which I guess is possible, um, then yeah, this trade works out. But otherwise, I feel like the Red Wings have won this trade. Uh, by landslide it, it's it's not to the philip forsberg for martin erat level but it's pretty close um and we'll i think time will tell but um for the most part i would imagine that's that's gonna be the case uh so the next trade that we're going to talk about is uh nick felino he's going to uh toronto uh oh wait this is one of those ones that has like a three team trade thing so he's going to toronto uh let me just pull this up um so yeah so nick Felino's going to toronto um as well as steven nosen from san jose uh san jose retains 50 percent of nick Felino. they also get a fourth round pick from toronto of this year and columbus gets a 2021 uh first round pick as well as a 2022 fourth round pick both from toronto um, oh, I guess, oh, no, never mind. Okay. I thought like that was the same pick that the Sharks got, but no. Um, so I guess, I think as we'll find out, cause we're going to talk about another, uh, three, three way trade, but the Sharks have also been like that person to retain cap situations for, uh, for two other teams, um, which is an interesting move, especially now in the flat cap. And it's not like the Sharks have a ton of cap space either but um but yeah we'll start with uh toronto and nick felino because that that's pretty much the heart of this trade um yeah i think uh nick felino he's a he's a good power forward um and he's he's phenomenal in the playoffs um so this is like a good deal for toronto in that they get like um a guy that can Provide some experience, playoff experience for Matthews, Marner, Tavares, and all those guys who haven't been past the first round in um in their entire career. So that's something that's nice. And this is a guy that has had, um, hold on, he has uh, he's played in fifty one uh, playoff games, um, and twenty two points in those 50, 51 games. Um, and he provides some leadership as well. I think he was a, he was, must have been an assistant captain. He may not have been a captain. 
at one point. But um, but yeah, so he's this is a good deal for Toronto um, because they get some leadership and you know some added depth for Toronto, which is something that they've needed for a while. Um, and then uh, I guess this also signifies that Columbus is giving up on the air if it wasn't already evident beforehand because they uh, gave up David Savard uh, the day before. Uh, Zach Wierenski is going to be out, uh, has career, uh, not career ending, uh, season ending surgery um, on his uh, knee and that's someone that you kind of need in order for a playoff push type thing. So this is kind of like a sign that Columbus is not going for it this year and they're just uh, taking the season as a, a write-off, I guess, in a way. Um, and the Sharks, I guess, are just trying to retain some cap. I feel, I feel like this will go away when the season is more normal, um, but that I guess that's what they get out of it, and they get um, they get a pick, so that that's always something, and they can, you know, they can just keep on stockpiling picks that way. Um, but yeah, this is a a good move because I think uh, power forwards specifically are really um, are really helpful in the playoffs, um, and um, and that's kind of exactly who Toronto needs is they need to get tougher. Um, especially in the playoffs, and and this is the the guy to fit that need. Um, it's interesting though that uh, Nick Foligno garnered a first round pick, but uh, Taylor Hall did not, um, which is it's just funny. I mean, I know that there was this no movement clause, but it just just goes to show you that it's kind of crazy that like we all know that Taylor Hall is better than Nick Foligno, but Nick Foligno is worth more than uh, Taylor Hall is. Yeah, so I kind of noticed that Toronto is going on leadership and depth in terms of pure skill, um, which I think is probably the wisest move here. Um, you can tell the Leafs are really going for it here. Yep. Um, they were able to get a lot of depth guys, which we'll mention a little bit when we talk about David Riddick. Um, but on top of the leadership that they get from – John Tavares, and they also have Austin Matthews and Morgan Riley and Mitch Marner and Zach Hyman. Um, you have former captains like Joe Thornton. You have former captains like Jason Spezza. And now Nick Foligno, long, uh, longtime captain of the Columbus Blue Jackets when you look at their franchise history, um, they get him too. And, yeah, they give up a first-round pick, a late first, and a fourth-round pick um, – um, on top of all of that, they they get basically a veteran rental that has played playoff games, that is hungry to win a Stanley Cup, because like Toronto, he hasn't won one his entire career. And I don't think he's the guy that can get you 60 to 70 points like he did in his early days with Columbus, but he still adds a lot of death to the second or the third or the fourth line wherever he plays um and there's also a bit of a personal connection with the Leafs because his dad Mike Foligno was on the Maple Leafs team in 92-93 that went to the Western Conference Finals and came out so close to beating the Kings in game seven and now they're getting a guy that individually and professionally is motivated to win a Stanley Cup for Toronto 
And the perk is they were willing to give up a top five prospect or a first. Or if they really thought it could get it done, maybe they're willing to part ways with both. But they were able to make this deal without giving up Nick Robertson, without giving up Rasmus Sandin, without giving up Rodian Amarov, who just turned pro with the Leafs, without giving up Timothy Lilligren, uh, without giving up any of their big-name roster players. They just gave up a couple of draft picks. So I think for the Leafs, this is a win-win. You get a veteran guy like Nick Foligno that's going to help your team potentially win a Stanley Cup, and you don't really give up one of your well-known prospects to get it done. And for Columbus, yeah, it's tough to lose a guy like Nick Foligno, but it's pretty obvious where this team is going. And Gustav Nyquist has also been ruled out for the rest of the season, so he won't be back at all this year. Um, so the fact they get a first and a fourth from the Leafs, um, it's a good attempt to restock their prospect cupboards, which is something we've been harping on the Jackets since they went all in in 2019. We, we knew that in their prospects, they weren't looking too good. Everyone knew this was coming when you look at their regression, when you look at their franchise situation. Um, I I don't think it was that much of a shocker that guys like David Sabar and guys like Nick Foligno um, were, were dealt out of town just because Columbus was in, in a wrong place and they probably weren't going to make a charge to make up for that. I don't think they would be good enough to even come close to a Nashville or a Dallas to become that fourth place team. I don't know if they can even do better than the Hawks this year. So um, yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's a situation where Columbus got what they needed. They got traffic and Toronto got what they needed, which was a role player like Nick Foligno that can still do a fair amount of damage. Won't carry the team offensively, but they don't need him to, they just need him to play his game. Yeah. I think that that's, um, that's a good point there. Uh, the other trade that happened is David Riddick goes to the Leaf, uh, Leafs um, and Calgary gets a 2022nd third round pick uh, to Calgary. Um, this is, I guess this is kind of an interesting trade just because like as much as I was loving Jack Campbell, he started to slip a little bit and become human again. Um, but the, I think this is kind of like a sign that maybe Freddie Anderson is like his injury is more serious than they're letting on. Um, there's also like the case of like, I remember last year in the playoffs when, uh, Freddie Anderson got injured. And so then they had to rely on, um, what's his face? They had to rely on, uh, was it Michelini? No, I think it was uh, someone else, but, um, they, uh, you know, like that was, oh, Hutchinson. They had to rely on Hutchinson towards the end um and so it's it's kind of like um you know David Riddick he's he's been okay um in Calgary over the years but um I guess it's like all you need in the playoffs is if you get hot you get hot you just need a hot goalie so uh, the more chances you you have the better if it's Freddie it's Freddie if it's Jack Campbell it's Jack Campbell and um maybe it's it's David Riddick um and um, that could happen too. So, um, so I, I think I like the move, but it does make me wonder if maybe Freddie Anderson is more injured than than we realize. I think it's a little column A and a little column B, where you don't want to be in a situation where you have to rely on Michael Hutchinson because it's also important to note that Jack Campbell's also not at 100%, even though he's 
he's starting to show the cracks in his armor a little bit. The winning streak is long gone, but still putting up pretty good numbers. But in between that that run, he wouldn't um, take part in practices or his workload would be managed. Like he would get a game off in between. He wouldn't uh, he wouldn't uh, start one game and then. A few days later, he starts the next game. Sometimes he would start a game, and then Michael Hutchinson gets the next game, and then Jack Campbell gets the next game. So I think they were really managing his workload. The fact that they can go to David Riddick at a moment's notice and say, hey, can you start for us tonight? Can you help us get some wins? Is very, very critical for them, especially when they've invested so much in this season already. But go out and get Nick Foligno, but not think of getting a backup goalie, I think would be a very bold strategy that would probably blow up in your face. So I think uh, Kyle Dubas uh, was was showing good foresight here to get David Riddick uh, from Calgary. And I, I think at the same time, David Riddick can be more than just a depth goalie or a backup goalie. There was a stretch in 2018-19 where the Calgary Flames were on top of their division. And Mike Smith wasn't their go-to guy. It was David Riddick. And it wasn't that way in the playoffs. But even still, um, David Riddick, throughout that regular season, there was a stretch where he was the clear-cut number one goaltender for the Flames. And he was he was on a hot streak. And I think if he can really find that groove that he found in 2018-19 the Leafs could go on a winning streak with not Jack Campbell but with David Riddick because they had the offense to do it I think they have a fairly good defense he's former teammates with TJ Brody so he knows Brody a little bit too um I think ultimately what the Leafs need is a goalie that can play games get wins and has NHL experience and he checks off all the boxes and I think uh, the moves, the other moves that Toronto made um, were also indicative of their insurance policy. You look at the Habs getting John Merrill and the Oilers acquiring Kulikov. You look at what the Leafs got in terms of death moves and how much they gave up, and it's crazy. They yeah. get Ben Hutton for a fifth-round pick from Anaheim. They get a conditional seventh for Riley Nash from Columbus. They get Antti Suomela from the Sharks, and all they give up is Alex Barabanov. Like, all of these depth guys, they don't have to give much to get them. They're just here along for the ride, willing to play if need be. I think it's a very pro sneaky, quiet trade deadline for Kyle Dubas, but I think it was the approach that the Leafs needed because I, I think overall their team is good to deliver the goods. They just needed insurance policies in place in case one guy gets hurt or another guy is potentially exposed to COVID like Nylander potentially was a couple of weeks ago. So I, I, I think this was good, clever foresight by Dubas going out in particular, especially getting David Reddick from the flames. Cause I think it's something they need to do. Yeah, for sure. Um, that was, uh, I think it's just a good insurance for, for sure for them. Um, so now we go to the Jeff Carter. He's going to the penguins. I just see that he scored, um, or he got an assist, um, just now, so that's that's cool. Um, he's going to Pittsburgh. Let me just find it quickly. Okay, so then uh, the Kings get a 2022nd conditional third round pick, which I'll say in a second. Uh, they also get a 2023rd conditional fourth round pick. Uh, so there's two conditions here. 
Uh, the 2022nd uh, third round pick can upgrade to a second round pick if the Penguins reach the 2020-21 uh, Stanley Cup Finals and Carter plays in at least 50 of those games. Um, and then the 2023rd fourth round pick can upgrade to a third round pick if Carter plays in at least 50 games during the 2021-2022 season. So that's next year. Um, so this is a this is a interesting pick, I guess for uh, for both teams, I guess. Well, not really for the the LA Kings because you know Jeff Carter is 35 years old. Um, did I get that right? 36 years old. Um, and, uh, he's been, he hasn't been great in LA this year. He had 19 points in 40 games. Um, so, um, and then for, for Pittsburgh, yeah, they, you know, they probably could have gotten Nick Foligno. Um, they lost out on Taylor Hall. So, uh, Jeff Carter is like, you know, he, he's another guy who has playoff experience, um, and knows what it takes. And they love going for those, like, wingers because you know they already have two elite centers in Malkin and Crosby so it's like if you get a guy like Jeff Carter you could pull in like a Phil Kessel type thing or something like that so um, he's more of a right winger I know that Jeff Carter does play center at times but he can play right wing um, as well so I imagine I think that's what they've been doing Um, and yeah I think this is a good uh, move for the Penguins but um, it's not as strong as the other ones um, in the division have made already. Yeah, with the with this one, it's it's um, it's a low risk high reward situation yep. for the Penguins, and I can kind of see almost immediately what the Kings are doing here. Uh, the Kings got Christian Molinen in a minor trade from the Sens. They got Brendan Lemieux in a minor trade from the Rangers. So they were kind of getting a load of bottom six depth. And they also had guys like Alex Iafalo as pending UFAs. And they ultimately wanted to keep Alex Iafalo, but if they couldn't, they would probably trade him. So in the wee hours of the trade deadline, they were trying to work something out, and they ended up getting a four-year extension for Iafalo. So when they dealt Jeff Carter, I'm thinking they're probably making room for an Iafalo extension if they get that done. Um, which explains why the Pens were willing to retain 50% of the Jeff Carter salary and why the return was only a conditional third and a conditional fourth. Like, that's pretty low, especially for a guy that, yeah, it's one thing to say if Jeff Carter was, like, a pending UFA. He's not. He's a, he's a UFA after Nixon. So the Penguins get another year of Jeff Carter on top of this. He can still offer a lot to your team as a second-line center or a third-line center. I believe on daily face-off, he was listed as the second-line center for the Pens, but they could also move him around if they need to. I still think, when healthy, he can play a prominent role on a playoff team. He's won two Stanley Cups, so he adds to the leadership that Crosby and Malkin already provide, which is good. Um, so I think it made sense for both teams. The Kings needed cap space. They have guys like Alex Turcotte, Tyler Madden waiting in the wings. Um, a lot of young pieces that you have to make room for. And I think moving a guy like Jeff Carter makes room for those pieces moving forward to make long-term NHL impacts for the Kings. So they wanted cap space and they wanted a roster spot freed up. So they got that done by moving Carter and they get a conditional third and a conditional fourth that could turn into more um, in the process. Whereas uh, the Penguins, they 
continue to try to extend their win now window. I don't know if Jeff Carter is going to succeed in that quest, but um, they're certainly willing uh, to bet on that. And it's I, I, I just kind of think it's it's funny that a guy that was signed to this contract by the Flyers yep. is now going to be playing against uh, the same team that gave him that contract, which is kind of funny. Yeah, I didn't thought of that. That like because uh, this is a I guess his original Flyers contract that got moved to Columbus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, moved to that's about stuff. to expire. Yeah, it's the yeah. same when he signed with Philly. That's that's funny. I didn't even realize that it's gone that far back too. I guess that was the, the those were the days when there were long term contracts everywhere. Yeah, so. that's when you could sign players to like ten yeah, or twelve yeah. or thirteen year deals. This was before the twenty thirteen right, right, that right. he signed the deal. I just didn't realize that it was the same contract. I yeah, I didn't realize that either. Game, That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. yeah okay, so now we go to, oh, I also, oh, I forgot to mention, Sam Bennett goes to Florida uh, as well as a 2022nd uh, sixth-round pick. Uh, he goes to Florida, and then Emil Heineman um, in a 2022nd also goes to the Flames. Um, I forgot to mention that with the Riddick news. Um, but, um, because it's, it's related to the Calgary Flames here. Um, yeah, this is, I mean, I think, uh, like at the start of the season, uh, there was a report that Sam Bennett had requested a trade. Um, and it seemed like it was really, really slow. However, I don't know if you, I I think I mentioned it to you, but I don't know if anyone else has mentioned this before, but like his last five games in Calgary, he had, uh, he's had a uh, five, sorry, his last four games in Calgary, he has five assists. Um, and then he, uh, he has his first game in Florida, um, against Tampa and he gets two assists and five hits. Um, he's another guy that it seems like, um, when they moved to Daryl Sutter as coach, it seemed like he was finally getting going. He was no longer in the doghouse. Um, and he, you know, it seems like he's been doing really well and now it's, it's gonna, it looks like it continues in Florida, um, where, uh, at least, you know, for now, who knows, um, how long that's going to last, but, um, but yeah, he's, he had 15 minutes of ice time and that's the most, or I guess he, he's occasionally had 16 minutes of ice time, um, in Calgary, but like that's, you know, he was usually averaging like 12 minutes of ice time per night. Um, so that's, um, so if he can get going, this could be a pretty good deal for, um, for Florida. Um, I don't know too much about Emil Heineman, but maybe that's something I think at this point it was just Calgary is just, just wanted to appease Sam Bennett, uh, because he had a requested a trade and he wanted out of there. So, um, so yeah, he's going to Florida and I think it's, it's a good move, a depth move for Florida. Um, cause they also got Nikita Gusev. Um, that we talked about last uh, last week, and also they have Brandon Montour, who got a goal last um, last night as well. So, so yeah, I think this is a this could be a good move for Sam Bennett and Florida, um, just long term. Because as you've mentioned before, it's like anyone can play well with uh, Jonathan Huberdo and Alexander Barkov, and Sam Bennett is no different. Yeah. So uh, 
the Flames get the rights to Emil Heineman, and I've heard pretty good things from him in a second round pick. So some might argue, ha, they got a better haul for t- than uh, than uh, the Sabres got for Taylor Hall. Of course. That's funny. Um, well, I think a lot of, I mean, we, we've been saying that for like literally every trade. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but but in particular this one, because yeah, yeah. Sam Bennett was, didn't even win a hard trophy. Didn't yeah. even have a 60-point season in his career. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but regardless, uh, Bennett, you're right, asked for a trade out of Alberta, although he was very vocal about his role with Daryl Sutter, and he said he liked it. He, he, he felt pretty confident about the Sutter regime and where it was headed and where his game stood. In any event, I didn't think the Sam Bennett experiment was going to work out in Calgary, so Brad Living, I think, was wise to make this trade anyway. Um, in terms of what Bennett provides to the Panthers, um, you look at guys like Sam Bennett and Mason Marchment, uh, former Maple Leafs prospect. I'm very promising spark plugs for the Panthers' bottom six. They can play a very physical game, get on the other team's skin, which is great when you're probably going to go up against a team like Carolina or Tampa Bay in the first round. Um, best case scenario, you go up against a team like Nashville. Um, you go up against their star players. You need to get them off your game. I think guys like Bennett and Marchman can do a great job of that. You also have depth guys like Carter Verhage, Anthony Duclair, Nikita Gusev, who you added to that mix. Uh, Patrick Hornquist, a veteran guy. And then you look at the offense led by Barkov and Huberto, um, I think Sam Bennett can play his style of game while also producing at a pretty good clip, um, like a uh, like a Frank Vitrano rate, where he can produce in a fringe top six, bottom six kind of role. Uh, it all depends on where he fits, and I think ultimately the fit in Florida is going to be better than a fit in Calgary. So, um, yeah, I'm I, I'm I'm pretty optimistic that Bennett's going to do well over there. Yeah, I think. Um... Yeah, I think it's it should be interesting to see. I mean, he still definitely has some upside. He was a fourth overall pick in 2014, so um, he's definitely he still has some potential. He's only like 24 years old, so he's still like pretty young um, too. So that's that's something that's uh, definitely on his side. But uh, we'll see if it's um, if it if he uh, lives up to that or not. Um, I imagine people still like are thinking that Sam Bennett's a bust. Uh, but um, but I don't know. I think he, he's still a young player. He's, he still has ways to go. It's not like he's going to be like Aaron Ekblad, uh, Sam Reinhardt, Leon Dreisaitl, or David Pasternak, who were also drafted that year. But he could still be a, a legitimate player um, in, in this league. Um, so it's, it's cool to see that he could be something eventually. Um all right, uh, so now we go to Chicago's um, assortment of, of trades here. Uh, we have here, uh, oh, and also I guess I should mention that I just looked up Emil Heinemann um, stats. He has uh, 13 points in 43 games in the Swedish Hockey League, um, and he also had uh, one point in, or one goal in uh, five games for the World Juniors, so... Um, you know, it's not so impressive, but he could be something eventually, I would imagine. Um, we'll see. It's, it's, I, like I said, it's, it's hard to really tell with those kind of prospects. Um, okay. So now, uh, we have here, uh, yeah, the assortment of trades for the Chicago Blackhawks. We'll just do it one by one. 
the big one was Matthias Janmark is going to Vegas. Uh, San Jose is also in the mix here. They uh, retain 50% of it. Uh, Vegas, uh, they also get a fifth round pick that's originally from Buffalo um, uh, for uh, a 2022 fifth round pick um, that was from Vegas. Um, Vegas gets uh, Matthias Janmark. They get Nick DeSimone and they get um, a fifth round pick from Chicago in 2022. Chicago gets a uh, 2021 second round pick from Vegas and a 2022 third round pick uh, from Vegas. Um, and yeah, this is um, an intriguing uh, trade because, you know, Yanmark uh, actually had like, he had 10 goals and uh, 10 points. Um, combined uh from chicago and vegas um which isn't too bad uh when you consider that like you know he wasn't i mean he was getting 60 minutes of ice time and all that stuff but i would imagine the fact that like he's uh 28 years old uh his depth um he may not have had a, f a huge future in chicago um chicago gets to kind of uh decrease their their cap space a little bit or increase their cap space a little bit um and and that was a interesting trade for them for sure um and yeah uh Mark i think is um he's he could be a good center for them or a left winger for vegas and you know they kind of need a good depth piece um, especially in the center position i mean i know chandler stephenson has kind of been a revelation this year but um you can never have more good centers. Um, and uh, they have a couple of good left wingers for sure. But um, but that's a, another way of going about it for sure, too. I've said it once and I'll say it again. Never estimate the Vegas Golden Knights on deadline day. And they yeah. did it again. They, they get a guy, not, not necessarily with the big punch that a Robin Leonard provides or a Mark Stone provides, but he's a guy that forechecks hard, a guy that skates well, and really fits their system, their style of play. So I really like this move for the Golden Knights. Um, they were in a position ultimately where they didn't need to do that much, just easier or there. Uh, Chandler Stevenson, you mentioned Brett, very good uh, with Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty at the same time. Can never have too many good forwards. And uh, Chicago continuing the theme of stacking up their prospect cupboard, which I think is what rebuilding teams do, and they are in a rebuild, so... Uh, it fits their brand. They get a second and a third, which is good. And San Jose just helping teams out again. Yeah. This is the second time they've been the third man in a trade. So, um, yeah, interesting that uh, – <laughs> interesting especially that San Jose is helping Vegas get the guy they want. It, it kind of shows you where the Sharks are at. I don't think if they were contenders, if they were in a contending spot, they would have done that, but – um, I think it also speaks to where the Sharks are at, too. If they're willing to help Vegas out, seeing, yeah, we're probably not making the playoffs anyway. Yeah, um, that's, that's, um, yeah, I, I, it is, I mean, maybe it'll help out for depth reasons for them. It's, it's interesting that Chicago is making all these kind of trades to sell off some of their pieces because it's like they could still make the playoffs, but maybe they're, they're going full-fledged into the rebuild, um, mm -hmm. despite what they did last week with the um, 
uh, Borkstrom and Brett Connolly trade. So um, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, the other moves that they've made, um, Madison Bowie. Um, I know this isn't on our lineup sheet, but you did mention it. Uh, Madison Bowie and a fifth round pick go to the Canucks. Um, and, uh, Chicago gets a fourth round pick, uh, for, for this year. So that's an interesting move, but we won't, that's kind of a minor deal. Um, the other one, um, Adam Gadette goes to Chicago. That's the, uh, uh, I guess that was the first trade that the Canucks made. Um, Adam Gadette goes to the Blackhawks. Um, and then, uh, Vancouver gets Matthew Highmore. Um, in Vancouver, um, Adam Cadet um, is an interesting um, piece here because because um, I I mean I think he's always been uh, kind of deadlocked in in Vancouver because uh, for the most part you have Bo Horvat you have um, Elias Peterson so you can't, like and he's a center I guess you could turn him into a winger but. Uh, just he's always been like that third or fourth line guy, but um, he was really good in uh, in college uh, for Northeastern. So um, it's interesting that like you know he felt like he was kind of like um, he couldn't go up in the lineup and be a top six guy. But in Chicago, he has the potential to be that way um, and maybe more um, because there's a lot of like pieces like that. I feel like the Blackhawks have like. This has been a trend with the Blackhawks where they get like these guys that I think teams have kind of given up on, but they have some promise. Um, if it's like Brett Connolly, Dylan Strome, um, if it's uh, Vinny Hinestroza, even Alex um, Nylander. Alex Nylander is another one. So uh, Malcolm Subban. Um, so they, they always get these kind of like guys that like are first round picks. Or, although, I guess for God, Gadet, he isn't a first-round pick, but, <laughs> like, bear but with the me guys here. guys that didn't yeah. work out with one franchise, but, hey, maybe he'll work for us. Yeah, exactly. And, like, they have some pedigree where they they shown some potential before they got to that team. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's that's kind of, like, the interesting um, aspect from for the Blackhawks there. Um, and then I guess lastly, before I, I bring it to you, um, was they made another, the Blackhawks made another trade, um, where they sold off, uh, Carl Soderberg, uh, to, he's back in Colorado, um, but the Blackhawks get Josh Dickinson and Ryder Rolston, um, who are both AHL guys, who knows if they're going to make it, but, um, it's interesting that they kind of sold off Carl Soderberg, I guess he's a rental as well, but. Um, but yeah, this is an interesting depth move for Colorado, um, because, you know, he's back on, he's back on the Avs, um, and I guess they need, uh, some more depth pieces and, um, he could certainly help them out, um, in the long term uh, during the playoffs. Yeah, so taking a look at Gaudet, he could be like a guy that maybe he's a line two, line three option, perhaps, um, and you already have guys like, as you mentioned, Kirby Doc, Dylan Strome, Kubelik, Studer, Pius Suter, Hagel, um, Patrick Kane, of course, Jonathan Taves, of course. Um, so maybe a guy like Adam Gadette really thrives in a second line or a third line role. And Carl Soderberg, yeah, pending UFA. The Avs already have guys like Tyson Jost, 
JT Comfer, Pierre Edward Bellemard, Jonas Donskoy. They bring in a guy like Soderberg that can play on line four. He could play on the third line as well. Um, but they already have guys like Landis Cog and Saad and Nichushkin on left wing. So in terms of where Soderberg fits into a top six equation, I don't see it. It's more of a bottom six addition at this point. But a guy that has been on Colorado before knows what they're all about and could offer a lot to a team that's going all in. Um, you look at the ultimate adds and subtractions for Chicago. It goes something like this throughout the trade deadline. So they added Brett Connolly, Vinny Hinestroza, Bjorkstrom, Riley Stillman, Adam Gaudet, Josh Dickinson, and Ryder Rolston, along with a second, a fourth, and a seventh round pick in 2021 and a third round pick in 2022. So that's what they added. They subtracted Matthias Janmark, Carl Soderberg, Brad Morrison, Madison Bowie, who I didn't even know was on the Hawks, frankly, yeah, Matthew Highmore, same. Gabriel Carlson, Lucas Walmark, on top of a fifth-round pick in 2021 and a fifth-round pick in 2022. So I think ultimately when you look at the past couple of weeks, what the moves that they've made, I think ultimately they've gained more than they've lost. So I'm interested to see what the future lies for Chicago because uh, in the grand scheme of things, I, I think they've hit a lot of the right notes. Now they just need to execute. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and then lastly, the last trade we're going to talk about is uh, Eric Gustafson goes to the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, the Philadelphia Flyers acquire a 2022 seventh round pick um, that happened to be a St. Louis pick. Um, so, so yeah, this one's uh, intriguing from the Philadelphia standpoint because like I remember in the early year, it seemed like Gustafson was getting going and um it looked like he was gonna like surpass um Shane Goss's bear um but yeah in turn they uh they trade him away and um and now he's going to Montreal uh, he hasn't played a game yet for Montreal but this could be interesting for Montreal for sure because they um well first off I think uh, uh Shea Weber has announced that this is his last year um so that's uh certainly uh something that could affect them long term um obviously because you know Shea Weber has been a, a big piece of that um but um so they so they get that guy but he uh, Eric Gustafson can help out Jeff Petrie um and and all that stuff so that and and I was in a Romanoff as well so yeah I think this is a an interesting deal for to say the least but I'm not sure if it's going to last too long um because I'm, I don't know if that's like the replacement for Shea Weber when he inevitably retires. Just out of curiosity, where did you hear that Shea Weber news? Because this is this is actually news to me, to be honest. I was really? prepping and I, I didn't. Yeah, where where did you find that? Okay, well you can uh, <laughs> pretend that you didn't hear that, and then I'll uh, I'll look it up for you. Uh, okay, because uh, because that's 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 a significant blow to the Canadians if that's true. Um, yeah. In terms of this is a perfect Mark Bergevin move because he retains 50% of Eric Gustafson's salary, who a couple of years ago had a massive season with Chicago, and all he gives up is a seventh-round pick um, that I believe was linked to the Jake Allen trade. So, like, in, oh, yeah. in reality, you, you, you just basically give up next to nothing to get a rental 
that could help out your power play. You also get John Merrill, too, in a trade with Detroit. That also doesn't cost you much. Um, I don't know necessarily if Eric Gustafson fits the mold for the Montreal Canadiens, but it's certainly worth the gamble anyway. The Flyers, um, I kind of question the return on their deals and what their actual endgame was because they only get a seventh-round pick, which is from St. Louis, so that could be like middle range probably. Um, although that's next year, so you never know. It could be higher, it could be lower than that. But even still, a seventh-round pick, not necessarily too many diamonds in the rough there. Um, in any case, they only get a set pick for Gustafson. Then they move Michael Raffle to Washington for a 2021 fifth-round pick. So I'm, I'm just kind of wondering, yeah, maybe you don't keep these guys beyond this year, but could you have gotten more for them? I think maybe you could have like a fourth or a fifth for both, perhaps. It, it's just a little bit of a head-scratcher there. But then I also look at the the long-range game. Cam York turned pro with the Flyers. It wouldn't surprise me if he's in the NHL next year, yep. that the Flyers just bring him in right away, and that's why they don't keep Eric Gustafson. So that kind of makes sense. They also signed Scott Lawton to a five-year extension, so they probably don't keep Michael Raffle for that reason. So I get why probably they moved both, but even then, that's the best you could do was a fifth and a seventh for those guys. I'm not sure if that's terrific asset management for Chuck Fletcher, but he probably knows more than I do, so uh, I should probably just be quiet and, and just say, oh, they, they got something for them. So Yeah. So I just looked around. I saw something from Nick Kiprios that said that uh, they're worried about his swollen foot. This was, uh, and they, they don't think that Shea Weber will be able to skate again. However, he has been able to skate, and that tweet was in 2020. So Okay, there you go. So, yeah. so, so there's that. So that was previous injury concerns. But, but, um, Shea we but to, to, I guess, to my point, is Shea Weber hasn't been as good um, as he has been in the past. So there's another, I mean, it is like another reason why, I guess you are also right if, if, that is kind of big news. Uh, so I thought I thought like a lot of people knew that you just we just forgot to mention it. But um, yeah, I guess I guess I guess he's uh, he's around for a little while longer, and yeah. he's a UFA in twenty twenty six. So that's still a couple of years away uh, from now. But um, yeah, so I mean, he even is, still, he is, he is making headlines though because yeah. I have noticed on Twitter the past couple of games, Habs fans kind of carve him up on yeah. a platter there because they were pretty critical about, about his play. Habs Twitter is critical with yeah, like everybody. That's kind of what I mean. But yeah, so a lot of I guess you could say the long-term health of Shea Weber. You're not sure how that's going to you're not sure how that's going to affect his play right. if it already has. Perhaps it has. Um, like Jeff Petrie and Alex Romanov have shown a lot of upside this year. And maybe like Weber is like the second best or third best defenseman on the team right now, which you're, you're paying him to be the captain to be the best defenseman. That's not a good sign really. Yep. So I, I definitely think there are still concerns with Shea Weber. And I think there always will be concerns just like there are concerns with Kerry Price and how effective he can be in the injuries and how he's getting older and how that's affecting his play too. So I, I think the Weber and Price conversations will always be there. They'll always linger. Um, and I definitely think uh, the injury concerns are going to be a part of that. Uh, I don't expect Shea Weber to retire. If he does retire, I guess it won't be that much of a surprise just because yeah. of 
the wear and tear in, in the previous years. Um, but I, I think if the Shea Weber concerns were long-term, I would definitely think Bergevin would certainly address that with an even bigger move. For sure. And I feel like if that was the case, maybe he would have made a bigger push to get Matias Ekholm, let's say. Yeah, that's a good point. And speaking but, of yeah, the... Something to keep in mind, for sure. For sure, yeah, I guess. But yeah, I, I think it was a false alarm on my part, so I apologize yeah. <laughs> for it that. It was a false alarm back then, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I remember there was that tweet. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I think you, you made a good point by uh, Eric Gustafson. I mean, uh, Cam York, uh, they did sign him, so maybe they expect him to be up uh, next year. I find it interesting because, uh, like, you know, they put Shane Ghost to spare, um, on waivers, um, a couple weeks ago. Um, and I thought that just meant that they were going to keep Eric Gustafson. Um, and because like, that was a big reason why they even got him, um, was just, just as like, I don't know, just in case Ghost to spare wasn't back. And it does seem like Ghost to spare has been playing really well. So maybe they just felt like, okay, we'll just send him to Montreal and um, and all that stuff. But it is kind of interesting how they're treating Shane Gosisbear and then they trade Gustafson instead. Um, so well, that or it could be fine. a simple case that they're showcasing Gosisbear to up his trade value. That could also yeah, be I guess that's true. They too. could trade him in the off season. Yeah, I could see that. Or they could like mm-hmm. uh, put him like give him to Seattle or something. Yeah, um, he could be a Seattle package, yeah, yeah, which with his cap hit, I definitely can see that too. Yep. Speaking of Montreal defensemen now, um, uh, Ottawa claims Victor Mate um, off of waivers. Um, this happened before the Eric Gustafson trade, but, um, so maybe they had some inkling that, that this was what they were going to do. But it is interesting then because they're getting Eric Gustafson, um, but they still, like, you know, they feel you feel like you could get as many uh, defensemen as you can if you feel like that's a deficiency there, um, but I guess not. Um, so Ottawa takes him. Um, this is the second time uh, that I feel like Ottawa has claimed a Montreal defenseman. The first one being Mike Riley, which uh, coincidence enough, Mike Riley gets traded. So I think it's kind of like a weird little three-way trade that Ottawa is facilitating between Montreal and Boston, um, which I'm, I'm sure is, is a little strange. But, um, yeah, so Victor Matei goes to Montreal. The other big claim that um, that we should note is uh, the Dallas Stars claim Sammy Vatanen, um, and that should help them out as well. But both of these are good depth pieces um, for both teams, but um, I don't know if they'll make, like, a larger impact um, in general. In terms of the Sammy Vatanen uh, being put on waivers by New Jersey, being claimed by Dallas, you look at the primary left-handed defenseman that Dallas has now. Uh, there's Essa Lindell, Jamie Alexiak, where there was talk they could trade, but they decided to keep him. Uh, Joel Hanley and uh, one of their highly hyped prospects, Thomas Harley, on the back end. And then the right-handed defense side is pretty stacked with John Klingberg, Miro Heiskanen, you have Taylor Fadoon and Mark Pisek. When he's not playing right wing, he's a right-handed shot on the back end. Sammy Vatanen's unique because he's the hybrid type of defenseman where he can play both the left side and the right side. Same with Andre Sakira, except Vatanen's a right-handed shot and Sakira's left-handed. 
So it'll be interesting where they slot in Batson and what kind of a prominent role that he plays. I think maybe he'd be more of an asset on the left side just because it's weaker. Um, in terms of a prospect perspective, left side or the right side, I don't really think the Dallas Stars are looking in too good of shape. So um, for for the time being, he's, he's definitely good to see where he fits in offensively. If they like him, they can keep him for another year or two. Well, um, then he can become a free agent and sign elsewhere. But I think it was a low risk, high reward, and you don't give up anything. So it was a risk worth taking uh, for Jim Nil there. So I think it's a good move. I think Victor Mete could actually work out very well long term with yep. the Sens. Um, they moved Coburn, as I mentioned, to the Islanders for next to nothing. They also dealt good Branson to Nashville for Brandon Fortunato, who's probably going to play in the AHL. And they also get a seventh round pick out of him. They got. They got the same for Coburn. Uh, and then Mike, Mike Riley, Riley, of course, going to Boston. So that's three defense. So yep. you're you're basically bringing in uh, some roster space to give to, like, Jacob Bernard Docker, uh, to Eric Brandstrom, who T.J. Smith uh, said his plan was to play more of uh, following the trade deadline. Uh, so we'll probably see more of Eric Brandstrom there. And now you bring in a guy like Victor Mete, who's 21, 22 years old. He's a hybrid type of defenseman that's really played in the NHL for a bit, but didn't get a fair shake in Montreal. So he's kind of stuck in the middle of a prospect in an NHL regular. Uh, Left-handed, although it should be noted he can play on both sides of the blue line. He can play on the left side and the right. But I think his presence is notably going to be seen on the left hand because you look at the right-hand side, you have Nikita Zaitsev, Artem Zub, who's really impressed, Josh Brown, but you also have the likes of Eric Brandstrom, Jacob Bernard Docker, Lassie Thompson. So two, uh, three of your big defensive prospects are all right-handed guys. Right. And then you look at the left side, Thomas Shabbat's playing a lot of minutes already, and then you have Alsing, Fortunato, and Aspero. Um, Mete is a better fit than a lot of those guys, so I can see him playing more on the left-hand side. And yes, Jake Sanderson is also a left-handed shot. Hasn't turned pro yet and won't until at least the end of next year. So they're still going to be waiting around for Sanderson's. I think Mete's place is mostly going to be on uh, the left-handed side. So that's a really good move by the Sens. And again, didn't cost them anything. It costs less than to get Mike Riley. They just claimed him off waivers. So right. that 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 I think was one of Pierre Dorian's uh, brightest moves as GM so far is claiming Victor Mete. Yeah, case. it's it's a nice move. I think he's like a good shutdown guy too. So it's um, and you also mm-hmm. bring up a good point that like Shabbat, Brandstrom, and uh, um, the other one, Sanderson, all have are all uh, left-handed shots. Um, so. Um, so that's something to think about in the future, but we'll see. Um, so th- that's about it um, today. Um, uh, <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter uh, at Lace and Podcast. Our uh, Facebook is Lace Em Up. Um, you can also listen to us and subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes um, and Spotify um, or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 266 of the Lace Up Podcast. Okay.